There he stands in the great towering temple in Jerusalem. Surrounding him are those to whom it is entrusted, the leadership, the spiritual life of God's chosen people, Israel. And in that sacred space, Jesus speaks to those who had come to believe in him about continuing in his word. Now, there was no pushback on that. But then Jesus comes to his main point, where he blows the roof right off the temple, when he says, and the truth will make you free. Now, it took Martin Luther 95 theses. Jesus was able to accomplish but in one word, arousing. The implication that they, God's chosen people, the Jews, were not free, sparked an immediate and sharp reaction. Now, just wait a minute. Don't you know who we are? We're children of Abraham, and we've never been in captivity or bondage to anyone. Now, I think it's amazing how it is when we're filled with anger or emotion, reason flies right out the window, say nothing of memory. Think about it. Israel's slavery to Pharaoh, the Babylonian exile, or the Roman occupation at the time at which Jesus is speaking this word. And yet they protest, what do you mean? you will be made free. By the end of this eighth chapter in the Gospel of John, the Judeans who had previously believed in Jesus are so infuriated by this word that if you go to the end of this chapter, in verse 59, you read that they seek to stone or lynch Jesus. You see, as long as the discourse stayed within the boundaries of religious topics that were familiar, and Jesus' audience felt they were in control by their observance of the law or ceremonial observances. There was little to distinguish this day from any other in the temple. Days that Luther writes when everyone thinks they know the best and have God tucked in their back pocket. But when Jesus pressed home the circumstances of being in bondage and need of liberation, well, the denied reality of sin and bondage hit the proverbial fan. Now, is this so difficult for us to understand? Are we that distant from the mindset of those who came back at Jesus with such fury, raging against the storm, though the ship be sinking. To be sure, we are people of the free world. We live in the land of the free, not to mention our Dakota home, home on the range, hmm? where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a, then again, are we really that free? Now, some 40 years ago on June 10th, 1982, Mother Teresa received an honorary degree from Harvard, a time when she set the audience to an edgy hush, when she spoke of the U.S. and not Calcutta or India as being the most impoverished of nations. 
not because of an emptiness of the stomach, but an impoverishment and emptiness of the spirit. Here's the discouraging word. So let me ask, how free are you from your house or your car or your bank account? How free are you from feelings of failure or guilt? How free are you from your work, your job? How free are you from your daughter or son, a spouse who says, hmm, I don't really love you anymore? I'm reminded of the diabolical irony of those words printed over the concentration camps at Auschwitz. Arbeit macht frei. Work makes free. Really? Does it? Ever heard that expression? You just have to work hard enough and you can do anything, right? Such questions should help us see how contingent or in question our freedom always is. For without question, we have God to thank that we enjoy the many freedoms of the political, social, and religious dimensions of life as American people. And in this respect, we must always look with empathy to be freedom fighters for those who are in the fetters or the power of fears, whether they be racial, gender, age, physical handicap. However, the bitter truth is that these people would still not be free, not in the deepest and most essential place of our lives, because the freedom of which Jesus speaks in our gospel text is a matter of whether there's a freedom that is deep down inside us. It's a question of freedom of the spirit. It has to do with the freedom that no human being or thing can give us. It's the freedom that God alone can bring us. Soli Dei, soli be God, soli gratia, soli by grace. In Martin Luther's famous work, The Bondage of the Will, he makes an important distinction. Luther writes, if we do not want to drop this term of free will altogether, which would really be the safest and most Christian thing to do, I think he said with uh, tongue in cheek, we may still in good faith teach people to use it to credit humanity with free will in respect not of what is above us, but what is below us. That is to say, in regard to material earthly possessions, we have the ability to do good things for our neighbor, though that very free will has its source only in the freedom of God. And then he has a big however. However, with regard to God and all that bears on matters of the spirit and salvation of things above, we have no free will, but are captive to sin and death. So writes Luther. And so Jesus speaks in verse 34 of our gospel text of being slaves to sin that's echoed in the depth psychology of St. Paul when he writes, I can will what is right, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do is what I do. For sin dwells within me. Now there's an incredible dissonance here that we just can't deny. Let me try to use a musical illustration. 
you can't naturally play in the key of C on a B-flat instrument. It's impossible. So if I were to ask Jim to play a C on his trumpet right now, which is by nature in B-flat, and now if I ask Zachary with a concert C instrument with the Aeolian Skinner to play a C, now listen when they both are supposedly playing C's together. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's impossible. We human critters, human trumpets, we always, no matter how much we try to be on pitch, be flat, pun intended. As Paul writes in second lesson for today, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if we have ears to hear, we don't have to grow into bondage or train in certain ways to be caught fast in the slavery of sin. We don't even have to try. By nature, to use the language of the small catechism, we do not fear love and trust God above everything else. The desires of our heart are all over the place, searching for that in which we can finally place our trust. And we're bound to hit a dead end. And this is precisely why we get so nervous when we hear words such as, you failed the test. I hate you. You're fired. I'm sorry, but the lab tests just don't look very good. You see, we don't wear the chains of slavery on the outside where they clank heavily. Rather, the bondage is inside ourselves. It's made up of tight, resistant links of fear and pride, and above everything else, especially in our culture, disbelief. That's why every human being alive who's ever lived or will live in time to come stands at the same point of need. We need the freedom that's from above, that comes to us from beyond ourselves, what's called an alien righteousness. No matter the amount of freedom we might have or exercise, the finite can't reach the infinite. However, something else can happen. The infinite can cross over and join with the finite. And this is the good news of the gospel, that God in Christ has come to set us free by overcoming sin and death on the cross, joining us as his beloved children, heirs of the kingdom to his very self. As we come to be claimed by him through the waters of baptism, we are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever and shall be ours forever. I encourage you to spend some time later today and read through the book of Romans, our second lesson for today, and you'll come to see why it sets the great temples of human construction on fire once more because of what it has to say about freedom. Since the time of the early church of Augustine and Pelagius up through the Middle Ages of Luther and Erasmus, the debate still rages with the basic premise that human will must be free in order to cooperate with God in coming to a saving faith. 
Well, I don't know about you, but even if I could, I wouldn't want matters of salvation to be in my hands. Knowing what I do about doubt, about death, about the chronic condition of sin. Thankfully, it's in Christ's pierced and saving hands. To conclude, it's God who finds us, who has found us. It's God who chooses us, has chosen us. In his claiming gift, through the waters of baptism, it's God who is the subject of salvation, not the object. Like when some say, I found God, I choose Christ. No, says Jesus, I have found you. I chose you. And comes to us again this day through his holy word and sacrament. Family and friends, in Christ's death and resurrection, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And this is the gospel insight that was central to the Reformation in Luther's time as well as in our own. It's the message that sets you free for a fullness of life. It's the message of Christ whose grace is sufficient and whose saving word is our great heritage forever. Freedom from sin and death, freedom for ministry and mission, the truth of the matter, in Jesus' name, amen.